0: Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, and I'm here with my friend and trusty producer all the way back from Europe, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? I'm back. Uh, Not joining us right now is our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, because he literally just became a papa, a papa culture aficionado. It's crazy. He's got a little baby, Lucy, so he's back in Hamilton. Being a dad. Being a dad. It's the miracle of life. Yeah, something like that. We wish him, Alex, and Lucy all the best. Check them out. (laughs) Where Shiny Boy sixty uh, nine on Instagram go. or this family tree? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You can follow their journey, man. Do it's it. all
1: happening. It's magical. Yeah, um, it's kind of crazy, man, that people are having kids now. I know. It really feels like we're in the next chapter of things. I think I'm desperately trying to hold on to. The previous chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was gonna ask. I feel like you're the most maybe
0: Peter Pan of all of our friends.
1: Yeah, well, I justify it to myself because I'm younger. I'm a little younger than the rest of you that's guys. True. Even though not really like, a couple years younger. Yeah. But Lauren is six years younger than me. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm younger than those guys. And then Lauren is that much younger than me, but I feel like I have some time. And so I'll do the thing. I'm like, well, when Mike was my age, or when Shane was my age, or when any of the champagne girls were Lauren's age. They weren't doing any of this stuff. So yeah. I feel like I have a little bit of time to play with. But I will say I'm kind of going to like officially be in Toronto starting now because Lauren is at U of T doing nursing and sort of breaking up. I can get into that a little bit. Sorry. The place where I live in Hamilton. People will still be able to put that
0: together. Yeah. Should I just bleep it? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's not
1: give everybody your home address yeah. in
0: Hamilton. You've already been robbed once that you've talked about on this podcast. That's pod. true. It was just
1: a <laughs> podcast, man. Um <laughs> Because Greg, your brother's moving in with his lady. Owl, that's right. My brother's moving out of your place. And Simple owls is moving, moving. Did you know about this? I just heard
0: this last night. Yeah. I can't in believe with Simple Owl's moving.
1: Yeah. So changes are happening. But um, it's interesting because I'm moving into this place in Toronto. We need to outfit it because there's now a spare room that's going to be turned into a living room, mm. which means we have to buy stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> it's I think just in my personality and the nature of my work is I just don't really care about my home very much. You're not I, you're not there that often. I'm not. First of all, I'm not there very often, and even if I was there a lot, I don't think I'd care that much. Totally. Um, and so I called you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I was like looking for advice among <laughs> other things, but I was just like, yo. Like Lauren's really excited to make the place great, and by and she's a homebody, she loves being comfortable at home and having things look nice, yeah. Um, and having it feel like just really kind of like home totally. And so, I was like, okay, we have to go to the mall and buy a new couch <laughs> and a new and frames to put on the wall, and this and that, and this and that. What do I do? And you said basically just put down the credit card and just get it over with. (laughs) (laughs) Some conversations (laughs) are meant for off the podcast, my friend. (laughs) Well, but it was a really good piece of advice. You're just like, yo, it's important to her. So, and you got to carry your fair share and just do it. If she likes, you know, making the home a home and
0: stuff like that, and like we don't, and we're not naturally inclined to have a strong opinion on a couch or like a, like a fucking cabinet or something. Or like
1: towels. I don't give a fuck. I yeah. just don't care. Does it
0: dry me? We're yeah. good. Yeah, we're good. But I fi- I found that it's like you know, you still got to go. Go to the mall. Of Spend course. some time. So Take
1: I some did. interest. I, yeah, Lauren actually gave me uh, props for 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 putting on a brave face and pretending to smile at stuff and, and looking <laughs> engaged. She was like, "Max, I know you didn't care about it, but I applaud you for your fake effort." Um, but yeah, because uh, when Dan, our friend Dan Hamilton, was was before he found a place in in your building, that's right, he was going uh, from Airbnb to Airbnb, and every three, four, five days, he had a new place, basically. And he wasn't bothered by it. I was like, this is kind of a cool life. Like, that kind of living with a bindle lifestyle is totally fine with it. It suits you. Yeah. But now you're settling down. Yeah. So how excited is Lauren then to be moved?
0: Are you the first, like, dude she's ever lived with? Yeah. So she's very excited about it. Is this the first time you've
1: ever lived alone with a woman? We talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: and uh yeah
1: so no, but i'm excited and it's gonna be nice to be in the neighborhood near my folks near my sister all that good stuff but we just got back from london and we had a great basically week with webmaster dan Webmaster dan's in the house webby d what's up webby d was awesome company uh he flew over and we hung out in oxford he joined us there and then we reconnected a couple days later in london nice and uh who drank more webby d or you webby d uh was no you know what so on tour, I don't usually drink much um, because you know I'm in a routine. My roommate on tour is Nick, and Nick doesn't drink at all. Nick is basically like a monk. He's, mm. he's
0: Yeah. Just pouring over baseball stats. Pouring
1: and, over baseball stats, not really eating or drinking anything, he, he, or and occasionally getting into arguments with people in the in the van. And uh, that's sort of the way he That's learns. what he's conserving his energy for. He's like, yeah. I can't
0: be hungover if I'm going to be con- a contrarian to everyone in the group. That's right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And uh, so – but when Dan joined the party and manager Ash came, uh we had a great time in London. You know there's some people you really have to babysit and there's some people who you you can just say like hey, I'll, I got to go somewhere and I'll see you in 6 hours at this random location and they'll just get themselves there. Yeah. Dan's the latter, very easygoing, very just helpful. He was doing social media for our which Just a, a true team player as we know him to be, and it was it was fun too because Dan is a big Frank Turner fan, so to see his joy you know watching frank from side stage and getting a document of it made me very happy you know one of the things about the tour is you know especially when you're a band that has to be together all the time you realize that everyone's kind of on their phones all the time (laughs) even though we do talk to each other a lot we uh and we do get into good spirited arguments with each other we also spend a lot of time just sharing our phones within the band there is kind of a differing like kind of philosophy on how much they should use we should use their your data when you're <laughs> overseas sure so for instance like you know mike kind of keeps his data off he doesn't even want you to send him photos if he's roaming because i think he bought like a 75 plan uh you know nick i think a little bit more everyone else has various degrees I don't want to change my habits at all. So I got a two. Okay. You've reached $200 in over. You've reached 300. You've reached 400. You've reached $500 in overages. And I was just like, I don't give a fuck. I was like, I'm going to maybe I, I, you always tell yourself, I'm going to call in and bitch out the people on, uh, on the other line about these overages and, and demand that you're going to, you're going to say you're going to leave and never going to come back to the company. And
0: they'll give you like half back. Or something. Yeah. And sometimes
1: that happens. Sometimes it doesn't, but uh, I just didn't care. But anyway, so I am kind of addicted to my phone. I but though I did buy a book saying how to break up with your phone, so I've been reading that. Oh, interesting! About how not to be so addicted to your phone. Uh, do you, can you hit us with the final tally on what you spent? I don't. I don't know. I don't. Even, I try not to look at any bills in my life. I just send them right to my accountant. Do you think it will be like under a thousand? Maybe just. Wow. Yeah. Go on. But anyway, so I don't know. The subject of phones came up and charging phones because as you know i'm always looking for a charger or i came in and charged my phone it's you're at 80 char- you get nervous yeah exactly yeah. uh but then webmaster dan did point out that uh a particularly low point of my addiction was at the vancouver junos when we were going to interview the legendary bob rock and i walked into the room bob's sitting there kind of like by himself and i'm supposed to make conversation as the producer as you are trying to set up the actual recording apparatus <laughs> and i kind of just ignore him and i'm just sort of <laughs> looking around the room for a plug and he's sort of trying to make conversation i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. do you know where this is a plug and there's like one plug in this fucking room and it's like on the floor and he's like oh, and, it, and then it's not working and i have to try to do another one anyway my one job as the producer is, that doesn't actually produce anything is to make the, the guests feel kind of like at ease. Yeah. And I kind of did the opposite of it. And I'm sorry to everybody that I work with. <laughs> Webmaster Dan brought this up to you. Yeah. yeah. So Webmaster Dan was like, yeah, Max, and uh, I, I don't want to call you. And by the way, Dan is not the kind of guy to like point flaws in people. Like Dan is like <laughs> such a co- like complimentary guy. Yeah. So the fact that like Webmaster Dan, who is only the most like sort of, cheering on, team-building kind of guy Like pointed that out to me. I took it very seriously, and it really did point to my addiction. It made you feel like you have a problem. Yeah, totally. We'll get you through it. Yeah, thanks, guys.
0: How much Frank time did you get one-on-one?
1: Not much, actually, just because he was really busy. The thing about Frank Turner is that he, that guy, if you think of me as sort of like a busybody, kind of likes to keep my schedule pretty jam-packed, Frank Turner, I'm not exaggerating, is like 10 times me. Interesting. Like, he has never said no to an interview, it seems like. Like, like he'll give time to, like, the BBC and NME and The Guardian, but also, like, the 19-year-old with the blog. So it's very commendable, like, the way he works.
0: Yeah, because you're probably the most proactive person I know that is yeah. a busybody. And speaking of that, I went to lunch with uh, Justin Stockman today. Oh, you who did? Who's our patron saint when it comes to this podcast.
1: Oh, no, I want to hear all about it.
0: Yeah, he's, he's got some interesting ideas for the future. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. We'll save that for off fair. That's right. But we'll leave that teasing. Yeah.
1: But the probably the, the most fun night I think we had was our final night in London. we played uh, our own headline show. And then as part of the deal, we DJed afterward. <laughs> and it was so funny because the whole band stuck around. We all kind of got wasted.
0: I saw visuals of this on Instagram story. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen you guys collectively have more fun.
1: Yeah, it was like, like the, off the stage, and so I think what we had to have to do more often is these DJ sets where the five of us just like put on our favorite songs, and like Tim was dancing around the stage, <laughs> Anthony was like getting in the crowd and dancing with people. I love it.
0: It was wicked. You guys are like the new Down with Webster. That's not a bad thing. That was their
1: business model. Yeah, they would go play a gig in a city, and then they would do like the after party DJ thing. Well, that's Frank Turner even does that. Yeah, he'll he'll do like ten interviews, play a two hour show, and then go DJ. Hey, so. Man. Anyway, look out for an Arc DJ set coming to a bar near you. Yeah, it's going to be good. I like it. What about lot. you? Give me, uh, give me the goods. Man, I,
0: I, you know, I haven't been up to, like, obviously, my beloved Raptors flamed out in yeah. pretty
1: remarkable fashion in the fact that the whole world started calling our city Lebronto. Yeah. Uh, it's always so funny when I'm not in the same city as you and you're going through, like, the ups and downs of being a Raptors fan yeah. as you are. And I could just tell on social media or on our Facebook message groups when you're in a good space <laughs> and then when you're not in a good space. So it's like one night on tour, I'll be away and I'll see you post something on Instagram you are be like, this is my brother. He's kind and beautiful. I'm like, Mike is wasted right now. Cause when you start using the word kind and like, I just know you're just like in that like loving mood and like, and the Raptors definitely just like won that night. It's yeah. like, I love the world. And then the nights when they lose, you usually have about a, three or four paragraph long Facebook uh, (laughs) rant in our basketball group where you really get into the details. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Nothing moves me uh, for positive and negative quite like those fucking Raptors.
1: Yeah, those fucking Raptors.
0: So, you know, I saw them go down uh, without much of a fight. Uh, Dwayne Casey uh, lost his job. Yeah. Um, What did you think about his uh, goodbye letter? I loved it. It was phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Pure class, that guy. He's the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I hope he lands somewhere well. But I do think it was time for him to go. Yeah. I agree. Which I posted on my Facebook after yeah. having a few drinks. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that was going on. I, I saw a old school Hamilton band, the Marble Index.
1: Yes, tell me about that reunion.
0: It was great. All the Champagne Boys came out. Like we had a proper Saturday night. Like everybody was there. It was great.
1: And uh, I mean, you guys were. Yeah. town.
0: Shane was having a baby, but
1: but the Marble Index, like, were uh, kind of like the Hamilton band in the mid oughts probably yeah like, like and they had kind of I think they had a major label deal absolutely and they had songs on the radio they're great tunes and man. Brad the singer songwriter in that band he's very talented
0: absolutely man like they same school is an amazing song yeah all that I know I actually found
1: out- spirits spirits as well oh
0: my god how am i missing this connection yeah so for you listeners who have listened to a hundred episodes of us the little track that plays a little snippet as we go into interview which you will hear today when we go into richard reed perry and marika shaw is actually the band spirits which is his follow-up band fronted by uh, brad germain that was the band he did after and it's a song called open the door yeah and when he came out with that band after Marble Index had sort of dissolved, I fucking loved it. It was like an EP they had, like a five-song yeah. EP. It was great. Really good tunes. But that's the tune that we play going into every interview. So, Brad, anyway, when saw Marble Index, our good friend uh, Jules uh, showed up with our good friend Jay Kelly and uh, their wives, um, and we were all hanging out. And somehow the conversation got into, like, when you have the talk, the sex talk with your parent. Uh, okay. So everybody was sort of sharing these moments and, like, you know, you know, like, oh, Jules, did, you know, Sally have a talk? Did Brent have a talk with you? And everybody's sort of sharing these stories. And it got to me. And I was like, I'll never forget when I finally had the sex talk with my dad. I said, you really need to start using protection. <laughs> good work. Thank you. But the thing is, I, I had the joke almost within like 30 seconds of the conversation. Yeah. And so I was just kind of waiting for it to get to me. <laughs> it made Sam laugh a lot. Yeah, and good. that made me happy because yeah. I, I like it when Sam has a good laugh. That's it. Like I mean that's really all I got. I don't uh, I don't have a ton. I feel like we need to do some living over the next week. Yeah. So that when we get to next episode, we really uh we got some good stories.
1: Okay, well, I'll make that. I'll call up Dan Hamilton. I say tonight we got to get some good shit for the pod.
0: The man has lots of stories. Yeah. Um I just don't know how many he'll let us tell. I feel that's like every true. time we talk about him we have to cut it out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, but Today on the show, Maxi Boy, we have Richard Reed Perry from the Arcade Fire and Marika Shaw, who used to be in Arcade Fire. She toured with them. She played strings for them. uh, And now she runs um, Plus One, which is their huge charity.
1: Yeah. So it's, um, we know Marika because our Kells work with Plus One. Uh, It's a dollar on top of every ticket sold. And uh, it's it's kind of an infrastructure for any band uh, who is interested to be a part of. If they want to choose a charity that they're excited and passionate about, Plus One will help administer kind of all the back-end stuff. And just, the, the model was sort of, I think, more or less invented by Arcade Fire. She was in the band. And now she, her full-time job is working in charity and organization building. Her Her expression is compassion is contagious. And mm. so kind of building... A world for bands uh, to spread a message of positivity and generosity. And it's, I know, it's really good. And anyway, so Marika runs that full time. Arcade Fire has donated a ton of time and money to uh, Doctors Without Borders in Haiti. And uh, Richard Reed Perry, who is a guitarist, multi-instrumentalist in the band, we actually have a funny little connection. I don't know. Do we talk about in the interview? Oh, you do. Oh, with Ben Whiteley? Yeah, and then you go deep on Toronto neighborhoods. Oh, we did. That's right. I left so, it in the interview. For, so you'll hear all, all about it. Yeah, but a good friend of mine, uh, Ben Whiteley, who uh, I played baseball with and who is a great musician. Uh, he, he's a bassist and he plays with lots of great local musicians. Uh, he and Richard Reed Perry know each other from childhood as well, so it's cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, this was an interesting uh, interview for a few reasons. So this happened at, at Juno uh, weekend, and I believe it happened on the Sunday of the show. Yeah. So there's sound check going on. We're in like a concourse area at GM Place, and everybody was sound checking, including you. You actually have to leave halfway through this interview to go do your sound check for the Junos that night.
1: Yeah, Manager Ash comes up, like, we got to go right
0: now. Yeah, it, it, you'll hear this, uh, everybody, uh, when you listen to the interview, but it's fascinating. But Obviously, at Juno Weekend, we talked about this. You go out every night, and yeah. it's like some of these places are open bar things until 3 or 4 in the morning. And I was out having a good time hanging out with uh, Juno-nominated director Mark Myers and yeah. his wife, and we were getting drinks, having a good time. It's about like one fifty in the morning, and I'm going hard, and Manager Ash is like, Hey, Mikey, don't forget, you have to interview Mark McMorris, Olympic uh, gold medalist. Yeah. Mark McMorris at 10 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> But no one had sent. I didn't know that. You didn't tell me, I'm oh, sorry. So I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, you have an interview at 10. I'm like, where? She's like, at the gym place. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yeah. But I'm already fucking drunk. So I'm like, man, like, I'm like, I got to be up in a couple hours to like prep for this interview. Yeah. And she's like, okay. And I'm like, well, thanks for, thanks for signing it all up, Ash. And she leaves and I turn to Myers. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm like... I got an interview pretty soon. I should probably go back to the hotel. <laughs> and right then the server comes up and she's like, anything more? And I look at Myers and his wife and I go, I'll get another round. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I, we did that. I got home. I got up super early. I remember you called the nut cause I was staying in his room. And yeah. Was- well, cause
1: I called you and you didn't pick up. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, this I can understand. Mike got the word late. I probably didn't do the good producer job and let him know this interview was even happening until he was <laughs> half in the bag. So then I was like, okay, I'm gonna call the nut to see if he can wake up Mike, give him an elbow. It turns out you're in the shower, I think. I was, I was yeah. on it, man. You're on it. Uh, so then we get there and yeah. we're waiting around for Mark McMorris. Everything's a little touch and go because Sundays is when they do dress rehearsals. so they run the whole show. So we're waiting around for Mark McMorris. We're, we're hoping Richard and Marika are available to talk to us. We, we're, we don't know exactly what's what. And then we hear word from Mark McMorris's people. He's canceled. Yeah. Are you going to tell the real story? Yeah, he canceled because he was too hungover.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like Mark Morris is puking somewhere right now. He's not gonna be able to make it. Yeah, the which
1: was the best, which was the most snowboard snowboard dude thing to do. Oh my god. Uh, it made me like him more, to be honest. It made me laugh too, yeah. just
0: because I'm like, ah, eh, birds of a feather, man. Yeah, that's it's right. Like, I hear you, brother. Yeah. <laughs> if I was the one being interviewed, I might not have showed up either. Yeah, okay, exactly. Uh but then uh Marika and Richard were kind enough to give us their time. Uh I think Ash made this happen. Was yeah. it or you 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 have a connection no, with Marika yeah, as well. Mar- yeah. yeah, Marika's a friend, but yeah. Because we were gonna yeah. hook up with her in Montreal yeah.
1: in Oceaga. That's right.
0: So I'm glad we found got to talk to him we hit on all sorts of stuff uh the the formation of arcade fire how that all came together how marika joined the band how they got the charity off the ground we talked about snl their latest performance uh, all of them sort of appearing in the uh the sketch the canadian sketch with bill hader um and just yeah it's it's an interesting conversation and it spans a lot of stuff but before we get to that guys uh, we want to let you know uh we've actually just We've had a big spike in uh, downloads and listenership. So we don't know what that was because of. Maybe it was 100. Maybe people are big Ed Robertson fans. I have no idea.
1: Maybe it's Russian bots.
0: (laughs) Hey, we'll take it. Uh, But we're going to ride the wave. So thank you uh, to all the listeners for listening. And if you're tuning in for the first time, please uh, make sure to hit up uh, the subscribe button so uh, you'll know when new episodes are available. uh, And you can get that anywhere you get podcasts. uh, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio app. Um, Yeah, check it out.
1: Yeah, no, seriously, the the, the subscribe button uh, means the world to us, so thank you for doing that. Yeah, want to get to Richard Reed Perry and Marika Shaw? Let's do it. Hey, we're going to roll on this, cause this is a good story. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, we were trying to hail a cab, trying to hail a cab, trying to hail a cab, like in the middle of, um, uh, like, Damon and... Division, whatever that, Wicker, not Wicker Park. Yeah. And it was kind of like, kind of tumbleweed vibes then. It's a lot <laughs> more built up now. And there were, we were just trying and trying and trying to get a cabin. There was nothing. And then this lonely brown stretch limo <laughs> <laughs> pulls by. And we were like, we were kind of trying to hail a cabin. He just pulled over and it was like, oh, he was like, where do you want to go? And we told him the theater and he's like, all right, 20 bucks.
0: 20 is not bad, actually. I know. Especially
3: if you're in dire straits, you know? Yeah.
0: All right, guys. We're gonna start here. So I want to know your Montreal origin story. How did you guys meet?
2: The two of us as yeah. friends.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. I was dating one of your good friends. buddies. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And then we'd be we would this have was dinners together. This is in the nineties. Really? A similar
2: Shit. yeah similar so era like, to the limo of it us. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it must be. Two th- I think it must be two thousand. I think it must be two thousand.
2: It was either ninety nine
4: or
3: two thousand. Maybe. It was two thousand. We could get up on the 2001. mic one. Um. I'm producing this thing. I gotta order people around. Thank you. Right, yeah. That's how it works. My mic technique. Yeah, but Richard, you do it Richard's again but with great feeling. On the mic here. Yeah. <laughs> I do the same thing again but with feeling. So you were dating her friend. I was dating her friend. We would have dinners together all the time, yeah. and me and Rika hit it off. And one time we ran into each other on the street, and she, her eyes got all white, and she said, "Hi, handsome." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, I love you too much." <laughs> <laughs> and then I stopped dating that lady, but we, we're still friends. We are
2: still friends. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a wonderful long friendship. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: And then when Arcade Fire released Neon Bible, we wanted to find another string player. And I knew that Marika was at a transition point in her life and maybe wanted to quit her job. And asked her if she wanted to come be in our band as her job for a while. Which she did. And it was great. And we got to travel around the world together for some years. Pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. It was pretty amazing. It was.
3: So what years were that? Is Neon Bible was 2006? But I, did, I did play with
2: you guys a little bit before. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally. The, we, but you that, played was, at the that very was a longer first, traveling.
3: That was the first <coughs> time we did a thing together. You played at the first <coughs> launch of, of the, the EP. first EP. That's right. I did. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. With another dude. I forget that dude.
2: And then we were in and out of touch because I had met Regine and I were friends also in music school. And right. uh, so there was all these other connections, connections happening. But. Right, so, that's
0: right. Richard, how did you meet the gang originally? The the what? The rest of the members of the Arcade Fire, Wayne, Regine, Um,
3: Many different stories. I mean, me and Tim and Jeremy uh, were in a band together Okay, in Montreal. Um, and... I met Wynn by answering a want ad <laughs> really? for a roommate in a loft where you could make a lot of noise. Because wow. it was over a bar. And I was like, well, That's great. I that sounds good. And then I went there and and I was like, Well, I don't want to live here, but it's good to meet you. We got along. <laughs> <laughs> it was just it was like a loft over a bar with no walls for rooms, you know, it's like sleep behind a curtain kind of vibe. Uh and <laughs> I was a little I was a little picky about such things. Um and then I also was friends with his Wynn's old friend, Josh, who they used to write songs together. And kind of the, the first time there was ever something called Arcade Fire, it was Josh and Wynn and another friend of theirs, Tim Kyle. Um, anyway, and, but we stayed in touch because we all had a lot in common and we're into a lot of music. And, and, and I was just like, kind of yeah, just kind of made friends with, with them. And our bands would play together right. in Montreal. And so we shared a lot of stages and liked each other's bands and would just hang out and then just all started jamming together at various times you're
1: from toronto though i was born in toronto yeah Yeah. because my dear old friend is ben whiteley
4: oh yeah i used to babysit ben whiteley yeah Yeah. ben and i played uh, baseball together at Uh, his dad and my dad were coaches
3: yeah his dad recorded my dad's records and my sister's records
1: oh okay i didn't put that together yeah
3: oh wow okay our families were my i grew up like deeply entrenched in the folk scene in toronto yeah well
1: where where do you grow up in toronto Uh,
3: and right in the middle of the annex like on palmerston and then we moved to lippincott oh palmerston what uh ulster i'm a major in ulster there you go i went to harvard collegiate neighbors yeah and then college in like lippincott and just above college
1: oh that's so funny what high school
3: did you go to uh, I moved to Ottawa for high school. I went to Canterbury. Uh, okay. Yeah, Cool. Yeah. yeah. My parents are still at Major and Ulster. right There, there. you go.
1: Yeah. It's Some deep Toronto geography yeah. there for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, stop talking about these. <laughs> <interceptions.">
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am not familiar with those that's corners. When, that's when the houses <laughs> on those blocks cost
3: $30,000. Well, my parents bought in 1980 for like 70 grand or yeah. something. Like that. Yeah. We bought in 77 for yeah. 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's outrageous. A deal. Yeah. But we don't have it anymore.
0: (laughs) So one of the things I wanted to talk about was Plus One because so you were touring with the band and then at some point you decided to go and focus on Plus One exclusively. What was the sort of decision making behind that or the thought process behind that?
2: I think there was a lot of different things that kind of came together at the same time. Mostly, you know, throughout like touring with the band and just seeing the level of impact I got. I mean, I got increasingly interested in the social impact part of it and the kind of like power of convening that was happening every night. And in particular, I think with this band, which is just an extraordinarily compassionate group of humans um, consistently thinking about these things is like, how can we connect and how can we make these things more human? And one of those pieces was the dollar per ticket. Um, I was learning a lot with the organization Partners in Health that we were working with in Haiti. Um, I ended up spending like a lot more time with them off tour. I would head down to Boston and go attend classes at Harvard and like learn more and read. And it was just something like that concurrently with all the incredible music stuff that was going on, I was just also interested in and passionate about. And the conversations that we would all have together was really like, why isn't this standard? Why isn't this normal? Why are more people not doing this? Um, And so some of those conversations are also like, what are those barriers do we need an entity that's going to remove those barriers so that we can k- kind of scale that? And, and that's-
3: once upon a time, people <clears throat> did do this, and it was called tithing, and it was because everyone went to church, and right. tithing was part of what you did. did you know, passing around the basket? No, tithing meant giving a portion of your income oh, to, yes. to charity and to yep. people who needed it. And that was like, a, you know, that's like, it says you should do that in a lot of places in the Bible. It was mm-hmm. like... You should give tithe some of your, your crop and give it to someone whose crops didn't do well that year. You know, it's like, it's a pretty old archetypal human idea, that, mm-hmm. you know, and we talked about, we had talked about that earlier before the like plus one as a, as a, um, you know, name or as a mechanism or as a method developed as that. We were like, how do we figure out a way of tithing or what we're doing? Because it would is a good thing to do and especially in the kind of hubbub of having a a band or having any organization anything come into a great public success and into this kind of whirlwind of you know travel and and kind of attention and media and the whole thing how do you ground like how do you ground that and give that like healthy roots you know what i mean like how do you keep that from just like lifting off into this weird bubble of of like debauchery and like the you know just the the stories you hear about rock and roll days of yore that is like not a particularly long it's not self-indulgence a self-indulgence yeah self indulgent, yeah. and like not a life that necessarily lends itself to longevity sure you know as as a as an artist or as a human. And we were always really uh, kind of of a mindset of like, how do we do this in a way that has longevity? How do we do this in a way where it's there, it's renewing itself as you are doing it. It's feeding into itself in a positive way and not just turning into a weird echo chamber. Yeah. It brings you back to reality in such a great way. Yeah. It's like when you're like, when
1: you, when you're surrounded by people who aren't doing what you're doing, I mean, they're like in Haiti or they're nurses or doctors or social workers. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's what they do all day. And that is, way more important on a certain level or in a different type of importance mm-hmm. and I, I find that to be so refreshing and it's like we it just grounds everything
3: as you say sure i mean anyone doing honest good positive work that is trying to be of benefit to their community yeah. is doing the good that's the good work yeah you know, that's what we should all be doing you know
2: yeah and also what was really powerful i think was like really focusing on what as musicians the band was good at right and so it's like let's do what we do best right. knowing that we are not like global health delivery experts right. sure. we are, <laughs> we are <laughs> not,
3: <laughs> not doctors without borders you but know, we are good at our being our band and we can give money to doctors and, without borders and we're moving all of these tickets <laughs> yeah. and we've got this platform so exactly it's like, let's take so a buck exactly what does it matter let's exactly. always focus
2: and let ourselves be really good at what we are
3: yeah i firmly believe role, that people should do what and they're then good <laughs> at we let also bring resources <laughs> really?
2: to the people that are also really good at what they're good at yeah which is changing some of these things that we're all really mad about. Yeah. And yeah. then the inequity. I often feel like we actually really, like, just the notion of charity always is about the giver to me. Like, that word charity always seems right. to me to be about the giver. Right. And, you know, with Plus One, really what it's about is, like, a very pragmatic solidarity right. <laughs> with people. Right. It's solidarity. Like it's, it's redirecting. It's like shoulder yeah. to shoulder. It's, it's, it's like here we are. Resources. It's not... Like this, like grand gesture of charity, and like I give to you, and let me make that a really loud statement.
3: Of course, Um, so I actually care about you over there who I have never met, and I have access to funds. You know, I I have access to an amount of money that I don't need. Therefore, let's send it to someone who does redirect it. Yeah, you know, redirecting resources because resources in this world are hideously not proportionately distributed
0: Well, I mean even having the platform to sort of do that right And with the sort of like um, attention that you guys receive when you were sort of playing music or or starting out or you guys went on this journey did you envision it would ever be this big like did you you, not at all eh you were just making music and holy shit this thing is blowing up
3: yeah I I, yeah I think I had a you can you can gauge early on that people are really interested and really responding to the thing that you're doing so I knew that people were interested in us, but it wasn't, you know, you you just can't, you can't think those kinds of things really. But when you're a kid
0: and you start, you know, playing music, do you have a sort of vision of like, oh, I want to, I one day want to be in a
3: big stage. Oh, sure. I used to like play a guitar in front of the mirror and <laughs> That's scream. what I'm getting at. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I knew I had like a huge amount of energy and music, like music was the way to channel it out. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And a deep, deep, deep love of music and kind of infinite, fascination and love of of many 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 different kinds of music and i didn't i didn't have a solid plan of what form that was going to take but i knew that i was going to live music one Try way or make another. A, make it your life a career mm-hmm. out of it
0: oh. um well we are at the junos and so like i'm always fascinated by like for a show like this how you sort of prep you know how you decide to make uh sort of how you're going to do the show or even something like saturday Night live which i guess was last weekend uh-huh how, I guess, like uh, how much you guys talk about the ideas of presentation and outfits and is it like a cohesive sort of democracy or how do you guys like sort of plan these things?
3: Uh, Kind of changes occasion to occasion. There's no like method um, that we use every time. I mean, we are a, a democracy as a band. If anyone is not comfortable with a the thing, then we're not doing it. And there's no we don't have the kind of organizational structure that we have around us isn't telling us what to do. Ever, um they're sort of suggesting, oh, it would be great to play SNL, which is kind of a given for us. It's always <laughs> sort of the, sure. the dream, but you know, the different things come up, and you can't. You really can't. You have to spend your energy wisely, and you know, you can't do everything. But we, yeah, we do. We really engage with what the thing is. This would look good. This is the. These are the songs that we're releasing at that time. What is the idea of those songs? Let's try and go with the sort of as much as you can go trying to do something aesthetically that relates to the song this conversation
1: is easy between band members like because sharing a vision it can take a f- number of conversations to, to collectively agree on like okay gold glittery suits is what we are like i know that's those we knew that that was the
3: easy one because we easy. used those <laughs> our dear friend renata made those for us early on and we shot a video for that song yeah. in those suits and we took a bunch of photos in those suits and they they're like literally covered in gold leaf and yeah. it's like fault it's like gold dust is moving falling off of them all the time wow. while you're playing and so we we're like okay we we're putting those away if we get to play Saturday Night live we will wear those on Saturday Night live okay, so that was an easy one but other, other times when they're like uh I, my vision for
1: you know this performance or this song is drastically different or is it
3: uh, the conversation i mean we're all on a very related wavelength it's like artistically and aesthetically and musically obviously which is why we work well together and perform well together and make music well together um but it it takes many forms sometimes someone has a really strong idea sometimes somebody else has a really strong idea sometimes you care a lot about a particular aspect of what we're doing and sometimes you don't and it's kind of a it's a lot of push pull and a lot of bowing out if you don't care that that (laughs) much about a particular you know particular decision and we also like it's like we trust each other's motivations and we trust each other's um instincts you know so like no one is going to it's not like there's a dude showing up being like, all right, everyone's in, like, everyone's in Gold LeMay. I'm thinking, like... <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking Fred Astaire. I'm thinking, like, boobs. No! I'm thinking, like, there's not... We don't have one of those. We don't have any of those. Cool. Yeah.
0: When they ask you to be in the uh, sketch, the Canadian sketch with, with Bill Hader, are you guys... Are you nervous? Like, oh, shit, I'm going to have a line and
3: I'm going to do this? Or are you excited? Uh, they didn't even really... They were like, oh, you guys are in a sketch. And we are like, oh, okay, great. And we didn't know what it would see a script or anything until we were just out there in front of the camera looking at cue cards. You're like, oh, there's my name. Okay. Really? It's <laughs> yeah. literally that on the fly. This time it was, yeah. yeah. We, when we did, we've done skits before, but they were, usually they were pre-recorded. A couple of them, I guess, weren't. But we did, the ones we really put the time into before were like digital shorts. And we worked on them ahead of time. So right. I have to uh, check now. Uh, so carry on this interview. Sorry, I never
1: have to leave in the middle of an interview, but uh, this time back. you do. Hey, it's the Junos, man. Uh, I guess another
0: question I was going to ask is, I mean, how much? I'll see you guys. In- you know, like when you're sort of in, in a band in the beginning, and you guys are sort of like, certain things can sort of shake you. You can be super precious about things. And I, on the East Coast, uh, the, your second song on SNL came in halfway through. Yeah, which was. Not halfway through. It was 20 seconds. 20 in. seconds. Okay. But yeah. so as a viewer, I'm like, wow, that's, somebody fucked up. Apparently, they've never done that before. Yeah. I've yeah. never seen. I watch SNL every weekend, and I was like, that is the weirdest thing ever. Yeah. Afterward, are you guys like, <laughs> how do you sort of approach, uh, I guess, how you feel about it? Like, is it something where, you, like, maybe early on, you would have been I mean, devastated. It is. But yeah. I mean,
3: are you like, I guess you just let it go? I honestly, I was like, oh, well. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't have time to, like... Who has time to feel bad about something? But, you know, it, it was fine. It was just clearly like a weird broadcast glitch. It wasn't like we fell on our faces and someone's, you know, someone's but, I mean, does that take t- hanging t- out of their band <laughs> Exactly. Or, you know, like, but, like,
0: does that take time to have that outlook? Like, whereas early on, you know, like everyone in the Oh, world, yeah. You know what I mean? Early like,
3: on, I had a horrible, um, when we played on the suburbs, one of my bandmates knocked, right as we started playing the song We Used to Wait, one of my bandmates knocked, jump, sort of, flung himself into the headstock of my guitar and all the strings went out of tune as I like went like a semi-tone out of tune as I started to play and I it was one of the worst performance experiences of my entire life it was the 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 bad dream that musicians have it's like oh I am I am in front of millions of people at this moment and my (laughs) my machine just stopped working like Uh, and I was it was horrible yeah I I like felt I still feel bad thinking about it but just because I felt so bad at that time you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah uh, I don't know I mean I've never not enjoyed something that I thought was a good performance or a cool song or a good piece of work because of glitches Mm -hmm. so once you realize that about how you perceive those things it kind of it's like, it doesn't make a difference to me if like, if you know, if I'm watching an old video of Paul Simon or something on Saturday Night Live and there's a weird, you know, someone plays a weird note or, you know, it's like it doesn't exactly. actually bother me seeing those things if it's someone that I like what they do. So why kill yourself over something that goes not quite as intended, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, Marika, I mean, how, talk
0: about like sort of the origin of plus one and like sort of like I guess I want to get to like you talked a bit about like the idea of was it tithing tithing
3: which is a new word for me exactly you've, right? people, you've educated people me don't know this word but it's like this is this was really common Was a common practice once upon a time.
0: Yeah, and 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 so like you're now solely focused on this. Mm -hmm. So what was the origin, and how did like I mean, you mentioned going to school and all that stuff, and sort of like going down to Harvard.
2: I mean, I sat in on Harvard. I don't want snuck into some classes. Yeah, I snuck in. I was grateful (laughs) to have like (laughs) like you know some really sweet invites to come sit in on classes at Harvard. Yeah, but Harvard, if you're listening,
3: (laughs) (laughs) thank you for the free education. (laughs) Harvard 2025. I'm getting. uh, Herbert, if you're listening, we're square, right? We're, square? <laughs> we're good, okay, right? We're, we're,
2: we're fine. Good. We're okay.
0: Like, Did you ever see yourself sort of solely focused on something like
2: this? I actually oh, I thought I was going to be a doctor.
4: Mm-hmm. Wow.
2: So I kind of was in a music career in a, in a way that was like I was good at it and I loved it. And it was where my people were and my community. And so that was something that I was always like seeking was like, where's your people? And can we Mm. find passion in that group of people and Mm. can we share something together? And that was music for me and I got good at it and I enjoyed it. And so this, this kind of life evolved, but, but kind of like for a long time I really thought that like after like whatever that means, which now I know on this later, (laughs) later side of life (laughs) is, is not necessarily correct. But like, I kind of thought like at that, there would be a juncture where I would go to medical school and be a doctor and do kind of like social medicine. Sure. And um, I think as I started, you know, spending more time with Partners in Health and working with the band and working more with our volunteers and kind of getting in that space, it was really evident to me that there's this there's this incredible opportunity um, to create tr- huge impact here and looking around, uh, you know, I don't want to make it sound like other people weren't doing stuff. There's like our musicians and our industry have been tied to incredible impact all the way through. And we're, you know, showing up and we're doing big benefit concerts and we are, um, you know, giving portions of ticket sales and talking about the things that are really important. And so artists have always been a part of that. Um, And at the same time, you know, one of the things we were learning is like it's the daily disaster of inequity. And the daily disaster um, of poverty, often that is creating illness and death. Sure. Um, and so, what this and it op- makes those
3: acute disasters so yeah. much worse.
2: That makes the acute disaster so much Which worse. Which is w- but usually also... where the attention
3: comes in, right? Yeah. It's when the acute disaster happens is when people yeah. notice for a minute and then it, yeah. there's an outburst of feeling and goodwill. and Exactly. And, and then it kind of peters off again. But it's <laughs> like it is a daily, mm-hmm. it is a but daily disaster. But the
0: infrastructure is flawed. So, that th- so like basically when something like that happens, it's like, oh, my God, like what is in place? And then people then will we'll, focus. But
2: the, then the reaction is often this like big awareness campaign and this big like charity concert and this big boom but we don't address it on our side on the daily either. Mm -hmm. And so what plus one was really about is addressing this, this like, you know, on Mm -hmm. the one hand we have this well of goodwill and occasionally we had these explosions of really important impact. And so can we also address the daily on, on the goodwill side, not just on the impact side. And so that's something that that's really our space is like where plus one came in, you know, looking around and we were talking to like, it was like super nepotistic. It was like, very organic beginnings where, you know, we were having conversations with our, with our f- friends and other bands. And like, you know, the national came to us as like the second band. We're like, can, can we do this too? Can you help us do this? We played a show together in Chicago. Um I remember those, those shows few, in Chicago, yeah, like it was like three nights in a row. Mm-hmm. And that was a plus one show. And from that night, they started doing you know it wasn't called plus one at that point they started adding a dollar per ticket and we were kind of helping them and um it was going to partners in health and 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 um you know we met the vampire weekend guys and the same thing so it started like very organically and as we looked around and as we and you know for me I really wanted to learn is there a space for this like why is nobody doing this why isn't this standard how do we make the standard how do we turn this like pretty simple methodology into like an impact model. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's really where then this entity or this organization plus one came out, which is really about, you know, leveraging the goodwill and harnessing that.
3: That's all there. And bringing. Like everybody wants to do better for Mm -hmm. the the people around them and the world around them. If Mm -hmm. you, and nobody, everyone is caught up in their lives and it's hard to figure out how to make an impact that is meaningful or is useful. And so the, the easiest thing to do most people is give a small amount of money to something that they trust
2: a lot of the barriers that we found were just like time and energy yeah, exactly. like it's Effort.
3: not yeah totally time and energy. So it's like, and where, e- easy yeah, and, and also like how
2: do you give your do you know that the place that you're giving right. money to how is the right navigate? place or like I
3: navigate who's trustworthy
2: the, m- yeah. the best conversation that we have with an artist at the beginning of a conversation is like what are you mad at it's not like how do you want to be charitable that's the wrong right. question. Right. The right question is, what are you mad at? What yeah. are you worried is going to happen in the world if we don't address this What's thing? bothering you? What's bothering you? Then what plus one does is we get to bring you like, here are the people in that space that are actually making the tangible change that, you know, or this is a really important way. These are the different lenses that we can look at this. So take um, homelessness. There's an acute problem with homelessness in a lot of cities around the world. Sure particularly in North America, so we can tackle the the acute homelessness and providing shelter and providing food and health care and all these things. We can also look at it from the lens of like, there's a lot of issues causing homelessness. There's a lot of women that are escaping conjugal violence that find themselves on the street. There are a lot of young trans youth that are finding themselves on the street. There are a lot of vets with incredible mental health issues that need to be addressed on the streets. So what if we also tackled those issues at the same time? And we're looking at root causes. And so in all of those conversations, A, what we're able to do is have a learning opportunity with people that are literally holding microphones every night yeah. so that we can become more informed and more authentic in how we think about these social impacts problems, as well as really figure out modeling for the fans that see us of like, oh, that's how I can engage, or I've never thought about it that way, or now I've discovered an organization that I didn't know existed, or a way to help that I didn't know existed.
0: Cool. Well, I, I got one more question. I guess lastly, just sort of a functional question uh, about the band, is at every stage of being in a band, there's always obstacles to sort of like, in how you operate. What would be, at the level you guys are at now, the biggest challenge uh, you find in your sort of day-to-day operations is, you know, people, a unit,
3: a band? Hmm. I mean the reasons that you do something change as you grow you know the imp- like your impetus your daily impetus for doing the thing that you're doing just changes like it's different when you're 20 and it's different when you're 25 and it's different when you're 30 and it's different when you're 35 <laughs> you know it's just like like your motivations, your yeah, driving force yeah and it's it can be strange to look at the thing that you do twenty years later and know that you would never, you'd never set out at this point in your life. If you hadn't done this before, you wouldn't start doing this thing now necessarily. You uh, know what I mean? Sure. Um, but instinctively, but when you were twenty, instinctively you did. You know what I mean? I do. To me, to just try and find reasons and find the the genuine drive, find what can genuinely drive you to do some version of the thing that you're doing that is a good thing. That's a thing you believe in that continues to support the older version of itself, the previous version of it, the younger version of itself. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, like you're doing the same thing that you've been doing. But your motivations have changed. So right. it's like, how do you continue to do the same thing with the
3: same... But your motivations also haven't changed exactly. But like, but <laughs> I'm not explaining myself very well. But to just try and find a, an authenticity to the energy that you're putting behind what you're doing as you get older, I think, is difficult in rock music, specifically. Sure. Because it's, sort of, it's sort of a genre of youth in a lot of ways. Not you know, not exclusively so, but you don't find a lot of people in the later stages of their life starting rock bands, but you find a lot more people <laughs> in the younger stages of their life starting rock bands, so just nav- I think collectively and as individuals within this organization you know that we are within the being the band that we are, just finding an authentic source for what we draw on when we make music together and when we perform together, yeah and uh doing that in a way that feels real and feels honest and feels. Authentic. Thank you both so much for your time. I really appreciate it, guys.
0: Welcome. Thank nice you. To talk to you. Welcome to uh, I think one of the most exciting desserts we've ever had on the Mike How Much podcast. Max joining us on the phone from his home, I believe in Hamilton, Ontario, is our pop. Papa culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, we haven't talked to you since you became like a big daddy, man. My heart is pounding. Yeah, how's it going? We don't know the story. <laughs> yeah, well,
5: I, I, was fig- I was trying to figure out a good way to tell the story of the birth. Because yes, the rumor is true. I am a dad now. I am officially Papa culture. <laughs> rumor. <laughs> so... I thought that since I'm one of the first champagne boys to uh, give birth. or uh, <laughs> first,
0: first male in the history of uh, humankind to give birth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if
5: you've seen Junior, that documentary. <laughs> that documentary. documentary. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, are you guys, uh, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure Max is ready to have a, a few puppies soon. And uh, I'm sure <laughs> that might be in yours even, Mike, in the future some point. But would you guys want to hear some? Advice or or wait, what am I calling it? Tips?
1: Yeah, give some tips, give some pointers. So,
5: first off, it's your wife or girlfriend who you've impregnated is going to be very worried about the pain factor. Sure. And you're going to instinctually uh, probably do what I did, which is when I'm about to uh, go in for something really painful, I want people to tell me it's not going to be as bad as I think it is, like you're going to make it through it. And I started telling Alex that she like had the perfect body for labor. <laughs> like I was like, oh. I was like <laughs> a weird thing I've never
0: seen a sexier labor body in my life. <laughs> You
5: are ready to take this No, pain. but I was like I was like Alex, listen, like you're like a beast, right? Like you're like, you know, you're you're ma-. I was like you're a beauty, but you're also the beast, like, you know. <laughs> your, your body is like made for birth. She has this like really tiny like uh, waist with the huge hips and all that. I was like, "Oh, it's going to be good. It's not even going to be that bad." I said, "In fact, <laughs> I researched <laughs> I said I researched it a little bit." And I was like, "You know how I had a colonoscopy without any aesthetic I read that that can actually be more painful than even birth <laughs> which which I have like a theory I've realized that women actually kind of like how hard it is and the pain and to go through that and be like the toughest thing so they do not want any man saying that he's been through something more painful than labor. <laughs>
0: okay yeah don't Noted. diminish uh, what she's going through
5: so I wrote down what the best thing to say is
4: oh, oh. and
5: here it is okay. so okay so babe. It's going to be painful as hell. It's going to hurt so bad that you're going to wish you were fucking dead. But trust me, in the end, once you look at our little bundle in the eye, a bundle that our love created, it will all be worth it. And then you just maintain eye contact.
1: Okay. Okay. Good. That's great. That's tip great number device. one. That's that's very that's practical. That's tip number one. Yeah.
5: Okay. Tip number two. Wait a second. Wait the, a second. Wait a second. You're jumping yeah. ahead.
0: What did she say when you told her that it was comparable to your colonoscopy?
5: Oh, she hated it. She was so <laughs> pissed at me. She goes, you don't ever say that. I want to hear how bad it's going to hurt. And basically what I just read is what she wanted to hear. Okay. Gotcha. So, she
1: said, write this down, Shane. Yeah. And tell all your fucking idiot friends. <laughs> Because, yeah, women
5: like how hard it is. And they like that, like, honor that they, like, went through this huge battle, I guess.
1: Yeah, they're like Klingons.
5: Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that means. Um, Okay, so number two, I'm calling it uh, the hours of labor myth. So you've probably heard women go, like, I was in labor for 20 hours, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I thought that meant, like, literally, I was going to be holding Alex's hand. For hours on end, as she was going to be calling me like a motherfucker and I'd be like having like a, a cold ice cloth on her head and shit, right? Like yeah. that's what I – and then maybe a bucket so she could like barf into if the pain yeah. got too crazy and like a wooden spoon for her to clamp down on. I honestly – I thought it was going to be like that from like movies and stuff. But there's three induction periods. So my wife was induced. So on Thursday, as you'll recall, Mike – we were at work and I, we kind of had an emotional goodbye. Yeah. And I was like, you know, uh, the baby's happening uh, tomorrow on, on Thursdays and uh, you know, by Friday, I'm going to be a dad. Okay. But what actually happens is when they induce, they just put like a gel up your vagina that kind of gets things stimulated. And then they send you home. Oh, are you sure? Wait, are you sure you were
0: at a hospital? <laughs> <laughs> That man was very unshaven and smelly, kind of <laughs>
5: But so they send us home. So we're watching like the Larry Sanders show and, and The Simpsons and stuff. I'm like, okay. And then it's not really taking. So we go back to the hospital. And this is like Friday now. So a whole day's gone by. And this is what I'm thinking, I'm like gonna be a dad at this point. No. Go back. They put a balloon up her foot <laughs> oh <my>
0: goodness.
5: <laughs> up her cervix, rather. Right. Not that I really know what the difference is. And then um, – <laughs> so they shove a balloon up there, and they start inflating it, uh, and that's supposed to, like, dilate her. So I'm like, oh, this thing's really going to uh, get cooking. But then, no, it doesn't. So we go back home again, and it's like she's perfectly calm. They, In fact, they told us we could go out for dinner wow. if we wanted to. They're like, you guys have your last dinner before your little one arrives. I'm <laughs> like, really? Like, we're going to go to the keg? And she's got like a balloon up her pussy. Like. <laughs> but I was like, okay. So then <laughs> then I guess she dilated enough because the balloon actually falls out. So like the balloon just plopped out. It was covered in like weird stuff. Like it was kind of mm-hmm. gross looking. And then we go back and they're like, oh, good. Okay. It's uh, this thing. The baby's going to come. The baby's going to come. And then we just chill for like hours and hours, but like no pain, nothing. We're just having conversations and going on Instagram and stuff. And I'm kind of feeling foolish because there's no, everyone is messaging me like I should have the baby by now. And then they're like, you just go on a walk. So then I'm just walking around with Alex. And then like, then it's like midnight now. Now it's actually my birthday. So all Thursdays passed, all Fridays passed. Now it's actually like baby's going to happen on my birthday, which is May 12th, which is on Saturday. So I'm like, uh, this is kind of cool. And then Alex's parents come by.
0: To wish you a happy birthday?
5: Yeah, to wish (laughs) me a happy birthday. And they they said, oh, do you want anything? I said, yeah, a coffee, because this is going to be like a long night, you know, because I'm picturing once it happens, I'm going to be doing the handholding thing for hours and hours. Mm -hmm. Then uh, they get me the coffee. I put it to the side. And I start uh, trying to go to sleep because, you know, I got I got to get my rest for when the birth mm. actually happens, which I'm assuming is going to be at like 3 a.m. Anyway, just as I'm about to nod off, a doctor comes in and he shoves his hand in Alex's vagina and he goes, oh, this baby's coming now. Uh. I'm like, I'm like, what? So I just hop on, uh, like hop up. On I was on the shitty chair sleeping. I hop up. And I chug my coffee, which was cold at the time. Anyway, I just chug it. And I'm thinking they're going to like be like slapping the gloves on me and everything. Like I'm going to be kind of a part of it.
0: Shane, scrub in.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I pull, I pull up the Cobra cam to start filming. Of course you did. Priorities. First things first. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, push baby. She does one push. The baby's head pops out. (laughs) Whoa. Wow. Just like like that i'm like what it took 12 minutes max no joke 12 minutes 12, 12 minutes. Wow. and then uh so i'm like oh, holy shit and then uh yeah the baby just popped out and then i asked her how bad it was
0: and she said it wasn't even that bad yeah she said it wasn't even as bad as a colonoscopy there
5: no it wasn't a colonoscopy is worse in this case <laughs> I'm sure for other women i'm sure for other women <laughs> and i must add she did do the um What's it called when they shoot the thing up your spine? Uh, epidural. Oh, oh, yeah, Okay, yeah. cool. So she was on an epidural. Sure. I'm just saying colonoscopy with no uh, stuff, <laughs> yeah. n- no anesthesia is more painful than birth with an Whatever. epidural. That sure. was my theory. I'm not saying it's always right, but I will say in this case it was Right. Because when the baby's head comes out, it's called the ring of fire or whatever. Oh. And she didn't even feel that part. Like that's supposed to be the really painful part uh, that even transcends an epidural. Ah. Did not. So some women, I hope this puts your mind at ease. If you haven't given birth yet, that it might not be all the pain that it's, uh, the media hypes it up to be.
0: <laughs> it's
5: uh, fake news oh, you heard it her first. <laughs> <laughs> birth pain is fake news. Y'all I'm here to tell you. <laughs> okay. Another thing is if you have, um.
0: I think we're going to get uh, letters it, from our, our listeners, yeah, Max, yeah. or messages from women that
1: are like, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't know anything. Yeah, that's okay. That's always been Shane's role.
0: Okay. So
5: <laughs> I have um fluff phobia, which is the fear of belly buttons. Okay. And like, like you, anyone who knows me knows I'm like very uncomfortable if anyone goes near my belly button or looking at someone's belly button because – uh, when I was born, I think I got, like, the guy didn't do the umbilical cord right, or it got infected, and I actually had an outie belly button, mm. which is the worst type of belly button you can have, and uh, especially if you're a girl, right, because you, sometimes you want to wear the belly tops, and it looks weird, but I didn't know that they make the dad cut the belly button, so uh, if you have this condition that I have, you're going to be <laughs> put in a condition. very awkward <laughs> position, because you can't say no. They're like, all right, then. he grabs the Cobra cam and he starts filming it. And I go to cut it and I'm just feeling so uncomfortable. I like kind of miss it. Then I go again. I don't cut it hard enough. I don't even want to do it. Then I go again, still not cut took me three tries to (laughs) cut the belly
1: button this is great alex has been carrying a child in her belly for nine months she's gone through so many physical changes the thing i might
5: go as far to say that cutting the belly button is worse than the actual labor
0: Man, it sounds what like then? you had a very harrowing experience, Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you
5: did it, man. I don't know how you got through I'm it. I'm sweating <laughs> just talking about it. Honestly, I'm like <laughs> eating out of my chest right now. And then I did it wrong or something because the belly the belly button is supposed to kind of uh, – the umbilical cord, rather. is supposed to kind of hang off – the child's stomach for mm-hmm. like two weeks, it's already fell, fallen off.
1: Oh, so Lucy's going to have the same trauma. That, that's the, the cycle, you know, when you know people pass down their their trauma to their child. Well, you did the same thing with your belly button. To yeah, Lucy. I, yeah I know. She's going to grow up scarred.
5: Well, that's... The thing. And what's what's Alex's favorite thing to wear?
1: Belly tops. Belly tops. Yeah.
5: Belly tops. So I'm very like concerned because I know this kid's going to want to do that. Uh, <laughs> I know this is getting long. I'm just going to go through the list. Feel free to cut all this shit up. This but, okay. No, we're keeping uh, it. Other thing is... Um, Okay, people told me the babies always come out looking like aliens, like (laughs) that they come out looking like covered in like white goop. And they're going to look their heads going to be all misshapen and they're not really going to look cute. So prepare for that. That is not true in all cases, because our baby came out looking fully formed and like perfect. And in fact, like I was really like, obviously, you guys know I was concerned about the baby. Looking too much like me, with kind of some features that I might not want a little girl to have that I have, but I also had a fear that the kid wasn't going to look like me at
0: all. <laughs> <laughs> but, we don't have to get into those fears, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well,
5: you know, around the time Alex and I were having some times nine months ago, <laughs> you're going to Atlanta again. <laughs> I like gambling. <laughs> Okay, but um, so, but the baby, honestly, <laughs> the baby came out looking like kind of like a badass kind of Latina chick. Like it actually, <laughs> it actually looked like Jesse Reyes, if you know who that is. Like it had like a little scowl on her face, and she had these huge lips and this super tan skin.
1: Could she sing? And I was
5: like, no, no, she just kind of cried. Okay, um, <laughs> um, so. I was like, "Oh my God, this kid looks like so much like me." Because I'm, I look like a Latina chick. No, because (laughs) I, I, I have a tan, and one of the qualities I have is I have big lips. So I'm like, "Geez, out of all the things she could get, that my tan, and my lips—that's amazing qualities for you know a young girl to have." But she kind of looked badass. But although it didn't look like an alien, what I realized is. 24 hours later, the baby totally changes in its, uh, the way it's skin color, everything. And then it just ended up looking like the palest, whitest version of Alex ever. It's just like a normal, like white girl baby now. Okay. So it's like the picture I put on my Instagram that I was all proud of, uh, isn't how the baby actually looks now. Now it's just like the whitest bread Baby in the world. Okay.
1: Okay. Which you can't is, win them all, but it's, fair yeah. enough. Yeah.
5: Still, no, it's still very cute, but it just looks a lot like Alex and nothing like me.
1: And nothing like Jesse Reyes. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
5: Okay. Another thing. I'm gonna, just going to keep going here. Yeah. Okay. Beating uh, the no sleep thing. Since I have insomnia, I thought the no sleep thing. Would be no problem. Like I actually thought I could uh, beat it. Like I'd just be like, "Oh, this is going to be easy. I'm the kid will be born. I'll we'll work out a system." It's impossible to actually get sleep for the first seventy two hours. One, I had a coffee at 1.30 a.m. and the kid came out twelve minutes later. Right, so I'm just jacked all day. Two, they don't always give you a private room. So at two in the morning. They put us in a room with three other crying babies, Mm. one hospital bed, and doctors come in every 20 minutes. And it's like, they'll be like, just checking the baby's heart. And they'll be like, just checking the hearing. And they'll be like, hair inspector. And like, it's all this (laughs) weird stuff that does not end for two days. So get the fuck out of the hospital as soon as possible. For like sometimes, they'll after 24 hours, they'll just let you bail. But for us, for some stupid reason, we ended up staying 48 hours.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And no
5: one gives a shit about the dads. Like, honestly, nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. Like, I just had this heroin belly button thing going on. And it's like <laughs> uh, they don't give you your own bed. You have to kind of sleep in this very uncomfortable chair that's supposed to pull out, but it's extremely uncomfortable. And uh, I wanted to do skin to skin where uh, the baby comes out and you're supposed to like lay on its chest. So I was wearing a robe, but everyone just acts like you're some like weirdo. Like, um, one time Alex was in the washroom and a doctor came in and she was like, uh, she, she walked around the curtain, but she was talking before she got through the curtain. She was like, how's mommy and her princess. And then she saw me just <laughs> chilling with the baby on the chest with no mom.
0: And you're she's in like, a robe.
5: <laughs> yeah. She's like, Oh, she's like, where's, uh, where's your wife? I was like, Oh, she's just in the washroom. And she's like, did you just have a shower or something? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm like. <laughs> With skin to skin. She's like, Oh, and then like walks away. Like I'm some pervert or something.
4: So
0: (laughs) (laughs) I did when I saw you in a bathrobe, I wondered if you were at some fancy hospital because I don't think I've ever seen any, like a father in a bathrobe like that at the hospital. Did you just bring your own bathrobe? No, it was my birthday. So Alex got me a bathrobe.
5: (laughs) But I thought it was like, the best thing And it turns out dads don't do that All other dads were like wearing like ties and stuff And like looking like how they're doing
1: sitcoms But You should have just told that woman It's my birthday okay yeah. <laughs> <That was> <laughs> <cough-lated>. <laughs> <laughs>
5: But yeah so maybe Don't do the skin to skin Or wait till you get home because honestly The dads are totally Looked at as lesser than
1: Sure we should start a support group for you Shane yeah. you've been yeah, that a I long.
5: I'm finishing up here. I got okay. just three more. Okay. Um <laughs> three va- more. Vagina babies can still pee in your face. Okay. I had I was told that only penis babies, uh, when you're changing the diaper, the pee can get high enough to your face. But okay. our our baby, uh, when I changed the diaper, it like squirted in my face.
4: Okay. Okay. No, pets, v- everyone. Okay.
5: Vagina baby. Yep. Uh the everyone says the boobs do get bigger. That is <laughs> True, uh, I've gone up one cup <laughs> size. I'm kidding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so um, Alex had nice, uh, small size boobs before, but now she's kind of more like Pam Anderson. So that's good. <laughs>
0: um, Does she know you're and, sharing all this stuff? Is she no, sleeping no. in another room with the baby while you're just uh, going off?
5: No, she went to Atlanta actually
1: <laughs> <laughs> with the baby. She knew needs- yeah. <laughs> yeah, very important visit. Meet your father. <laughs>
0: That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you to Shane for calling in. You know, like baby's only a few days old.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Man, Shane's a dad. He is a dad.
0: Um, You can find us obviously at Michael Much on Twitter and Instagram. Jenna Gregory's the best. She does all the artwork. Tara Packett putting it all together. You know it. Thank you to all the listeners who tune in every week because it means the world to us. And it was interesting posting that hundredth episode and seeing all the interaction on Twitter. We do see it, and it's uh, it's pretty great. So uh, thank you for doing that, and please
1: keep listening. And I think Shane had a note that we're gonna put up uh, some of his uh, Cobra Cam stuff.
0: Yes, as you heard in the dessert, Shane uh, had the Cobra Cam out. We're gonna post some of that on our socials and he, he did he wanted to make a point of us saying that we'll cut out all of the gross shit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So follow us on Instagram and Mike and Twitter, Mike on Much. If you want to see the birth of young Lucy. Yeah.
0: The Mike On Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host Mike Durman. See you next week
4: if we don't die on the weekend. Whoa. <laughs>